0: I also wanna give you an update on our partnership and our ministry in Ukraine. And uh, I mentioned to you some of our partners last week. I wanna walk through this again. These are folks we support and have been supporting, some of them for decades, some for several years, through your regular generosity as you give to the offering that uh, Loretta mentioned a few moments ago. And um, we've been supporting Jim and Ruth Overton for a number of years. Jim grew up here at Calvary. They have been serving in Eastern Europe or Central Europe for a couple of decades. And uh, we're in Ukraine helping the church there and had to leave a few weeks ago. They've been, Jim's been in Moldova as well as in Poland. And um, he's been helping us coordinate with some opportunities to provide food and clothing and mattresses. Uh, to meet some of the needs that folks are having as they flow out of Ukraine. Uh, this is one of the largest refugee exoduses in terms of its speed as it's happened, and uh, a lot are going into Moldova. And so with our partnership with uh, Jim he has and Ruth, they've helped us make connection there so that from our general fund offerings, we've already sent money to help in Moldova to feed people, as you can see in some of these photos, and to have a ministry with those who've already come across the border. And then inside Ukraine, our ministry partners, uh, Ruslan and Barbara Yankovsky, and uh, Ruslan works within the Gypsy camps in the west and has an influence there in that region, the western part of Ukraine. If you if you watch the news, you understand that eastern Ukraine. People are flooding from there into Western Ukraine to leave the country. Some may even stay in, camped, and right there, right around where Ruslan is. And those of you who work with our Ukrainian child sponsorship, you've been helping feed. We've been helping feed together as a church hundreds of kids in those camps. And uh, the ministry's changed, but we're still investing there uh, because a number of folks have crossed over into Hungary. Matter of fact, Ruslan's wife and children went, but he stayed in the country His sister has stayed with him, and they've had some ministry opportunities as folks have left Kharkiv and other places. And so we're finding ways now to invest in what Ruslan will be doing. He's already taken in families, other Christians there are taking in folks. So we're going to find ways to continue to partner and to get some relief inside the country through our connections with Ruslan and connections he has in Hungary. And then our third partner, we support Ruslan and Barbara regularly through our giving, our regular general fund giving, but we also support Bogdan and Bozena uh, Jakim, who are in Warsaw, Poland, And we didn't mention them last week because we thought they were so far into Poland that maybe this wouldn't affect them. But their church has been taking in refugees and other churches they're connected with in Warsaw. We've also made connections with other uh, ministries that are along the border there in Poland. And so we have opportunities now uh, through these three partners and connections they have and that we've made through them to help people on the ground. I've been hearing the stories. Uh, pastor Brian Field has been doing a great job coordinating that. He's our missions and outreach pastor. He's been doing a great job helping us coordinate our efforts, and he's been sharing stories and showing stories to me about uh, Christian families and churches who are taking in a couple hundred refugees. The church will take in a couple hundred, and there might be 40 or 50 people living in one house, a two-bedroom house in Poland or Moldova or Hungary, and they've got one bathroom, and they're taking in uh, and mostly women and children, and so the needs are to get resources to them for these folks who are willing to host, but they need mattresses and clothing because some of these people are leaving with the clothes on their back. And we have a great opportunity to partner together. So we've created a, a site on our webpage that you can check out, calvarywestlake.org Ukraine. And 100% of what you give to our uh, fund that is available there on that site, you go there and you'll be linked to our giving page. Where you go to the drop-down that says Ukraine Relief. We've reactivated our relief fund, and you can give to directly to Ukraine. And these resources will go to provide food, clothing, mattresses, the basic needs that people have on the ground. And it will go to folks who will give those resources right through the church and right through their homes in the name of Jesus. And so, um, and by the way, we, we're gonna, we believe this uh, relief fund is going to be there available for you. You don't have to give everything you think you're going to give today. You can give today. You can give next week. It's going to be a little while. We understand this crisis is going to take place for quite some time, and we want to be engaged with folks on the ground there through our partnerships uh, for Christ. Now, on that page, again, calvarywestlake.org Ukraine, you can find the opportunity to give. You can also um, find a video that Pastor Brian Field and I made uh, on Friday. It's about a 20, 25-minute video that gives you more details, more stories, some of what's been going on, kind of behind the scenes of his conversations with folks. That's available on that page, as well as some pictures. That page will just keep changing, and we'll update that. We'll try to put some things on our social media. There's also an article there that was put together by Iwana Clubs International. It's a great article on how to talk to your children and grandchildren about the crisis, the war in Ukraine. And so that's available at that same website, calvarywestlake.org slash Ukraine. I wanna thank you for your faithfulness in giving to Calvary. And thank you when these opportunities come uh, that many of you step up and go beyond uh, your normal giving to invest in these kinds of things. And we have that opportunity together in this way. I also just want to pause and pray for our partners and pray for believers on the ground, pray for even our Russian pastors that we've had a connection with for years and things are changing on the ground for them as well. Uh, So let's pray together. Father, thank you for our opportunities at church to reach out locally. Uh, through the preschool that will launch this fall. I pray that uh, you bring all the right students and staff and everyone together. Thank you for the process we've been going through behind the scenes. Thank you for how our elders have chatted about this and our leadership. And we believe this can be a vital ministry for us in this community. Bless that. Bless Elena and others who are working on this. And then we also, Lord, recognize we're not only trying to reach people here, but we've got partners right over there where this crisis, this war is taking place and the crisis of refugees is taking place. Open doors for us to continue to be able to connect with people, even as we've already set funds from our missions funds out of our regular offerings. Thank you for the generosity of your people. And even as we choose to give as individuals and families to Ukrainian Relief directly uh, through Calvary, I pray that you would use those to bring the hope of Jesus to those who are desperate, those who are hurting, those who are scared, those who are in the midst of this darkness, and may they see the light of Jesus through our brothers and sisters in Christ, willing to host them, willing to embrace them, willing to help them. Uh, Be glorified in our efforts here and around the world, we pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Uh, Watch this video. one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for uh, reading that scripture for us. It's found in Ephesians 4. We're going to continue our study of this wonderful letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus. If you want to open your Bibles, go in your mobile device. Maybe you've got a Bible app. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll be looking at that together this morning. I came across a story of a man who was stepping onto a bridge and he noticed someone in the middle of the bridge, at the edge of the bridge, about to jump off. And uh, it concerned him. He immediately went over to the man and he, he uh, asked the jumper, So are you a Christian, a Hindu, or what? The jumper replied, A Christian. The man said, Small world, me too. Protestant or Catholic or Orthodox? The man who was about to jump answered, Protestant. Me too, what denomination? Again, the man about to leap to his fate said, Baptist, me too, Southern Baptist or Northern Baptist? (laughs) The jumper answered, Northern Baptist. The man replies, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist or Northern Liberal Baptist? The man on the edge of the, uh, the bridge said, Northern Conservative Baptist. The man replied, me too, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region or Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region, the man said. The individual said, me too. Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region, council of 1879 or Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region, council of 1912? Now the man is getting excited, too. They've got so many connections. The the, the man about to jump says, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. The man pushed the jumper off and said, Die, heretic, die. (laughs) Now, if you've been in a church at any point in your life, you probably understand the humor of that. We have a nature as Christians to find our points of disagreement and division and to have nothing to do with someone that uh, we don't think lines up with us exactly the way we line up. And yet there's a great principle in Scripture about the importance of the unity of the body of Christ, not just the universal body of Christ, the church, big C, everybody who knows Christ everywhere on the planet, but in local expressions, in in local bodies of Christ like Calvary Community Church. And today as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, I want to talk about our unity and specifically why our unity matters. Why our unity matters as believers and, and, and getting it right down to for us as a church, for us as a group, a local expression of the, the body of Christ, why does that unity matter? Look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1 with me. As a prisoner for the Lord, this is Paul saying, I'm in prison for preaching the gospel, but I urge you, I urge you, what's he going to urge them to do? To live a life worthy of the calling you've received. This is a critical point where we are in this book. We've looked at the first three chapters over the last couple of months, and the first three chapters deal with the doctrinal theological perspective on who we are in Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you're a follower of Christ, then in the first three chapters you learn that you're completely forgiven. You're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. You've been given the Holy Spirit to be in you and with you until you are with Jesus forever. That we have this posture and this position, this incredible standing because of the grace that's found in Jesus Christ Those are the first three chapters. Now as we move into chapters four, five, and six in this letter, Paul gets really practical. He says, in light of this truth, in this reality of who you are in Jesus, this then is how you live. And so he says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He's saying, measure up to these things. This is who you are. Now live like that. And he gets really practical into our everyday relationships and how we deal with all kinds of issues of life. You would think he's going to jump right into some of the individual stuff, the big things that you and I deal with in our individual lives. And that would be the starting point of how we walk this out, how we live this out, how we live in love like Jesus in the world. It's really interesting. He starts with our unity together as a body of believers. He starts with how vital our connection is. And as we look at why our unity matters here in Ephesians 4, 1 through 6, this is the thought I want us to... To ponder together as we look at this passage. My capacity to thrive in Christ directly depends on our ability to live in unity. My capacity, Sean's capacity as a follower of Jesus, is related to and depends upon our ability to live in unity together as a church. You see, there is something that's taught here in Ephesians about our connection to one another. That's important for us to understand about our individual lives. He starts with this principle of unity because if there's disunity among us or I'm not even engaged in the local church and not even leaning in in worship and fellowship and service and ministry for Christ, if there isn't this unity I have with other believers, it's gonna cap my ability to grow. Some people think, oh, I don't need the church. I mean, the church's got all kinds of problems. And Jesus said, yeah, I know it's got problems. The world has problems. And the way you'll be distinct and different is not because you're lone rangers out there doing your own thing, but because you together collectively will be so radically different in how you love each other. Jesus said that the way you'll know you're my, you're my followers is by how you love each other within my family. And so there is a dimension to my spiritual growth and your spiritual growth that requires. Connectivity and engagement in the local church with the body of believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And if we're not a part of that, or we're causing division, or we are dis- disconnected and lack unity, then it's going to stunt my spiritual growth, your spiritual growth, because we need each other. That's a dimension of us growing into the full measure of who Christ is and living and loving like Jesus. My capacity to thrive in Christ directly depends on our ability to live in unity. Your capacity to thrive in Christ directly depends on our ability as a body of believers to live in unity. Now, there are a lot of ways in which we create division and strife and fractures and disunity in the church. I just want to share quickly with you eight of these, and just as kind of a background and an understanding. And uh, Loretta mentioned that if you don't catch one of these, if you go to our website and Find my take note, the notes for today. There's not only a version that has the blanks, but there's a version that has the filled in part, so you can find that there if I move too quickly. Let's look at these ways to add disunity to the church, ways in which we cause division. Number one, detachment. We unplug from the local church and fellow believers. We think we can do this on our own because after all, the church is messy and there are troublesome people and I don't get along with everybody. But that's the beauty of having Unity. That's the beauty of striving for love together. But when we unplug, we remove ourselves from corporate worship, or we remove ourselves from small groups and Bible studies and prayer groups, when we remove ourselves from service and outreach and ministry, we lose a dimension of what God wants to do in growing us to make us like Jesus. Jesus. I just say thank you to those of you who are in the room and I know as kind of that Omicron thing has gone down we've seen a lot of people able to come out and we know some are probably still being encouraged by their doctors to stay at home and we understand that and that's that's all right if you're joining us online I hope that this is a blessing to you to have this broadcast we're working hard to make sure this is a a good quality broadcast every week so that the good news of Jesus can go out and you who have to stay home can but I want to say to those of you who, your kids are in school and you're already back at work and you're going out to eat and you're going to the mall and you're doing all these things, don't get too comfortable at home. I know I've had people say to me, oh, it's great, on Saturday night I have a glass of wine, I'm, I'm worshiping with Calvary, or Sunday morning I've got my fuzzy slippers on, it's just great. And I know it, I, I get it. But there's something about being together and in proximity to one another, to be in the room you say, well, I'll be back when I need the church. Well, what about the fact that the church needs you? What about the fact the church needs you? Maybe you're going through a time of strength and things are going well. There are people here in worship today who've come in who heard the cancer word for the first time this week, the word divorce for the first time this week, or had a medical diagnosis or a financial problem, or they heard someone talk about layoffs at the, the, the business or the company, and there are people, it's not just about what you need from the church, but it's what you bring to the church, so let me encourage you, if you're out and about and you're engaging in life again, don't unplug from the church. That causes disunity and it causes fractures. Be a part of what God's doing, in, doing here. Lean in in worship services. Lean in in your small group if you've withdrawn in the last couple of years. Lean in with your ministry. Again, I know there are some that just can't do that yet, but there's some, I think, who are unplugging and it's unhealthy for you, it's unhealthy for us, it's unhealthy for me, it's unhealthy For every part of this body, detachment is one way we create disunity. Secondly, avoidance. We ignore an issue or conflict that needs to be addressed. We just avoid it. Now, if there's an issue or a conflict or a situation, you need to go to the people involved who are part of the problem or the solution and work that through. Avoidance of just letting issues bubble up and fester and infection to spread. Apathy is another way in which we add to disunity. We get comfortable with our own spiritual stagnation and someone talked to me after the service and said, they're really struggling. And they were explaining the struggle they're having between what they want to do and what God wants them to do. And, and they're struggling. And, and I said, well, you know, that's a good sign that there is some health there, that you're not completely stuck because you're wrestling. But there might be some listening to me, you're not wrestling with anything in your life. And that's an indication of spiritual stagnation and that apathy that you have towards your own walk with God affects us collectively. The fourth one is a pretty obvious when we talk about this in all kinds of settings at work and other places gossip. We talk about people rather than to them. If you have a habit of going around and finding all the dirt and you say, but I'm getting prayer requests, I'm trying to figure this out for me. You're, you have a, you're talking about people or saying what's going on, and you're gossip is dangerous. Don't just talk about people, go to the people who are part of the problem or the solution. Gossip, bitterness, we fail to move through a process of forgiveness and reconciliation. What that breeds in us is a grudge, resentment, poison, toxins. It builds up. Maybe you've taken on some criticism or you've had some uh, tough conversations with people just to wore you down. It's gotten you to a place of bitterness and you need to go to those folks and move through the process of forgiveness and Reconciliation. This could even be that we take in the bitterness and resentment in in one area, but then it spews out on innocent people. We have displaced anger and misplaced resentment. I know I was guilty of that in the last year in a conversation with some folks and colleagues, and and there's been a buildup of collective criticism and cumulative and just kind of got a bad taste in my mouth and had been carrying it for a while. And then in a meeting, just innocently, some folks got all that resentment poured out on them Thankfully, we were able to move through the process of forgiveness, and they were kind in forgiving me, and having a process of reconciliation together. But it's easy when bitterness and resentment set in to just spew out on people or put it online when they don't deserve it. Agendas, we emphasize something other than the person and work of Jesus Christ. might be a political cause or a social movement could even be economic. I know growing up in my home church, it was always interesting to see people with multi-level marketing schemes come into the church and sell all their stuff, and I'd ask my dad, where'd that family go? Oh, they sold everything they wanted to sell. There were nobody else to sell to, and they've moved on. <laughs> if you think Calvary is some economic business thing for you, you got the wrong agenda, and that'll cause disunity and disruption. The seventh one is interference. Interference. Where? believers are really working something through and having discussions and trying to find harmony and trying to work through their differences. And you interject yourself into a situation and you interfere. This is when we enter a conflict without being a part of the problem or the solution. My sort of simple rule for me is, if I'm gonna enter into something, I say, am I a part of the problem or the solution? If I'm not, I'm gonna leave those who are to find resolution in that because I'll cause greater disunity if I try to say, I've got the right perspective. I can solve this. I can be the hero. I like this proverb in Proverbs 26, 17. It says, interfering in someone else's argument is as foolish as yanking a dog's ears. Maybe some of you are picturing this kind of dog when you read that proverb. I'm not so sure it's this dog that the the proverb is singing about. I think it's this dog that the proverb is talking about. You know, when you put yourself in another situation, just add to the problem. You just add to the problem interference. And finally, maybe this kind of undergirds all of them. It's selfishness. We put our own lust, greed, and pride ahead of loving God and others. I'm right, my way, the way I see it. I'm specifically talking about things that can be important, but they're secondary things where we want our way, my way, and we make demands on people. We make demands on ministry that they got to minister to us this way or that way, or it's the wrong way. Selfishness. You know, in this time in which we worship, uh, the Ukrainian church last week and probably already today, but we heard reports of them worshiping in some underground parking garages and apartment complexes, Ukrainian churches gathered while bombs were bursting above them. My wife shared with me something she saw on Facebook and when Leslie saw this, I said, you gotta send that to me and it's, it's gold in its background. It's one of these memes and it has blueprint on it and this is what this, This item says, when you go to church this Sunday and you feel that old temptation to point out what's wrong with the place, the coffee's lukewarm, the lights are too bright, the temperature is wrong, the music is too loud, and of course, you don't know the songs, remember in that moment, there's a Ukrainian church gathering in subway tunnels to worship while bombs blast overhead. No coffee, no instrumentalists, no leader shepherding them to worship. They're down there in real time and in real life worshiping the king above all kings as their world is crumbling down around them we need to keep things in perspective what is important and i think a lot of times in our disunity we're caught up in our own selfishness so what do we do about that well i think verses 3 excuse me verses 2 through 6 give us the how do we walk worthy of the calling together in christ how do we do that and the first thing in cultivating unity together keeping the unity we have in christ together The first thing is you check your attitude before you challenge someone else's. You check your attitude before you challenge someone else's. What does that mean? Well, look at verse 2. Verse 2. So he says, Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Then he's going to talk about how we relate to each other in verse 2. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. This is our interaction within the body of Christ, how we walk worthy. We live out who we are in Jesus together in the body. First, when you check your own attitude before challenging someone else's, be humble. Look for a humble attitude where you put others first. This becomes a theme in the rest of this book where we're submitting to one another in the fear of the Lord. We have humility. The first ingredient to our unity is my humility. You say, oh, because you're the pastor? No, because I'm a follower of Christ who's a part of the body of Christ. The first ingredient for us to have unity is your humility too put others first, not yourself first. Secondly, when you check your attitude, be gentle. Show others calm. This word for gentle here, when he says be gentle, notice he also says be completely humble and gentle. He doesn't say be partway humble and then celebrate that you've got some humility, which is kind of not right. Be completely humble. Be sort of gentle. No, be completely gentle. We live in a time when people think rebellion and fighting and being a fighter in the church is some sort of spiritual gift. It's not in the list, folks. (laughs) There's some people who have allowed the polarization of our outside world to be the theme of their Christianity. That's dangerous. This word for gentle is the same word that Jesus used for meekness or the meek. It speaks of power under control, and the greatest example in, in the time in which Paul was writing that they understood this word was a young, strong horse that's at the top of, uh, of, of its existence as a horse, and yet is completely in control, doesn't run off or run in the wrong direction. If it's being used in a farm, it doesn't tear things up. It's not a bull in a china shop. It's got all that power, all that energy, all that might, but it's under control. It's calm, and we need to show calm to others. When there's tension, if someone raises their voice, we should lower our voice. When someone wants to argue, we say, okay, why are you wanting to argue with me? <laughs> and yet we live in a time when everything around us says, fight, 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 rebel, 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 rebel. Poke them in the eye, poke them in the eye. But we're to be gentle to one another. Showing calm, be patient. This word has the idea of, of uh, uh, suffering over time, enduring over time. There's another word for patience in the New Testament. has the idea of enduring under suffering, but this is enduring over time. This means you give others time, time for God to work. Just because you said it, they shouldn't, you think they should be exactly what I want them to be the next day. You're not the Holy Spirit. I'm not the Holy Spirit. We've got to give each other time to grow, to process, to hear what we said, to find ways to respond in love and to to grow in who they are in Christ. We need to be patient with one another, not make demands. Give people room over time to grow and change, to make errors and see God restore them. Fourthly, be tolerant. This isn't the tolerance that's intolerant that's in our culture today. The name of tolerance, we've now come to the point of intolerance. That's not what's at at, uh, the core of this. At the core of this is what we read here in the last part of the verse, bearing with one another. This literally means to put up with each other, to put up with each other. Then it says to bear with one another in love. All these qualities are surrounded in the very love of Christ, and it is that love that when we are humble, when we are gentle, when we are patient, when we put up with each other, It's that love that says to the world, there's something different about them. They disagree on so many things, but they're united on so much that's so important. They love each other. Even when they disagree, there's love there. Jesus said, that's how they'll know you're truly my disciples. Be tolerant. What does that mean? Well, extend others' grace. That means you believe the best, not the worst. You don't create the negative narrative right away about that other person and the things you don't know. It means you believe the best, not the worst. It means you build bridges, not walls. It means you want the other person to thrive and succeed, not be destroyed or dismayed. You extend them grace as you tolerate some of their inconsistencies and some of the struggle you have with them. Paul told the Colossians church some very similar things and summed them all up, that it's all about love and the peace we have in Christ. In Colossians 3, 14 to 15, he said, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, peace with God and peace with each other. Now look at that list of attitude check. Is there humility? Is there gentleness? Is there patience? Is there tolerance in how you're dealing with that person your small group, that person in the church, that other believer, that brother or sister in Christ? Maybe the Holy Spirit in and, and this list has said, yeah, you got to work on that gentle stuff. You, you do believe spiritual gift is arguing and fighting. Maybe it's saying you got to give people more time. Let the Holy Spirit work to grow them. Maybe the Holy Spirit has highlighted one of those. Maybe the Holy Spirit in those eight disunity markers highlighted one you need to work on, and it probably relates to one of those qualities. Ask God to work on you in these areas so you could develop healthy patterns. For what purpose? Well, verse, verse 3 gives us that purpose. Let me just say this, I would encourage everybody in this room to memorize verse 3, and I guarantee if we memorized verse 3 and we lived out verse 3 in the body of Christ here at Calvary Community Church, Westlake Village, California, God would use us in incredible, incredible ways to display his love and his glory to a lost and dying world. What does verse 3 say? Verse 3 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace doesn't say make as many efforts as you can, make effort until you're tired, make effort at least five times, or the majority of times, or more than anybody else usually would. He says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. That means we already have it. That's what you, you see in, in chapters one through three, and Pastor Brian dealt with us a few weeks ago. In the last part of two, in the first part of chapter three, you see that in Christ we are one, we are united We're not our different ethnicities and our different genders and socioeconomic places and education places and occupational places. We're not all those different things. We are one in Christ. We're all saved by the same Savior, and we have the same Holy Spirit in us. We are one, and now we're to make every effort to keep that unity. We don't have to build it or make it up. We have it already in Christ. We have to keep it. Our effort is to keep it. And this is a continuous, make every effort. It's a command from God through the words of the Apostle Paul. It's directed by the Spirit of God. So, the first thing we said you got to do if you're going to help cultivate unity is check your attitude before you challenge someone else's. Secondly, press in when you want to pull back. Press in when you want to pull back. Make every effort. Have the discussion over and over. Spend time in prayer together. Make every effort. I meet people who will say, Well, we haven't been to church today because we had to just step back because we were going through a, a new cancer diagnosis. We were going through some stuff. Or we just felt like we just, hey, when you're weary, when you're worn, that's when you lean into worship. That's when you lean into your small groups. That's when you hang out. And I know it might mean our small group has gone through a number of things, different families going through all kinds of stuff, and we just weren't able to meet last week because of all that. But, boy, we were texting and communicating and helping each other and praying for each other. It's, it's not always about, it's about leaning in. Are you leaning into the family of God? Are, are you leaning in or are you drifting back? Are you leaning back? Press in when you want to pull back. I'm telling you, when your gut says we need to withdraw, that's the time you lean in. You press in. It's Satan who wants you to disengage at seasons of life that you think you need to float out there on your own and you don't need the body. Or you think you need to float out there on their own that nobody in the body needs you. Just the fact you've gathered here is an encouragement to me. I enjoyed singing. We're gonna sing some more and worship some more. We're together in this. What does that mean then? Be relentless, not rude. Make every effort. But do recognize that That other person has to respond too, but you make every effort. And if you get to the point where they're not responding, it shouldn't be you wag your finger at them and tell them off and walk away, it's that you in tears, grieve, that in your differences or in your convictions or your preferences, your distinctions, that you could no longer be a part of that. You don't destroy and slam. You grieve over it. Be relentless, not rude. And pursue unity, not uniformity. Pursue unity, not uniformity. Notice it's unity of the spirit. This is spiritual stuff. This is spiritual unity around Christ and around the spirit of God as God the Father has given us Christ as Savior and given us the spirit of God to be within us. Our unity is a spiritual unity. It doesn't mean we're all gonna dress the same. It doesn't mean we're all gonna like the same things or like the same music or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera too many churches have divided over the color that was painted on the hallway wall. If you think I'm joking, there are churches, I meet pastors who are dividing over crazy things. Even in my time over almost three decades of pastoral ministry, there are some times when when somebody will say to me something like, you know, why did they paint that wall again? It used to be a nice yellow, now it's blue, and I don't know why we have to change everything all the time. Well, why are you concerned? Well, Grandpa Joe is a good believer. He painted that 45 years ago. Yes, but it's all scuffed up and we just needed to update things. And I don't know why we have to make changes all the time and they're gone. We have to be careful to understand our unity is not about everything. Our unity is in Christ and in his spirit. We're gonna have a lot of other disagreements. That's the beauty of what the world's supposed to see in us. Unity, not uniformity. And then what will happen is what the psalmist says in Psalm 133.1. We'll experience what he declares. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. How much better can you say that? How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Press in when you want to pull back. Grieve when you can't go any further and find reconciliation and unity with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Thirdly, not only check your attitude, not only press in, but thirdly, focus more on common ground than conflict points. Focus more on common ground than conflict points. Paul makes this so clear. He mentions seven things that we have in common. The one, the oneness of the body of Christ is found in these seven things. Look at verse four. There is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord and one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Look at these seven things. Go deeper in them when you're feeling like you're drifting or you feel tension or disagreement. Recognize the common ground you have with every other follower of Jesus. These are the seven things we have in common. The first one is one body. We share the same family. We're in the same body of Christ. We're different parts and different members, but we are a part of the same body, the same family that God has put us into together in Christ. They don't grieve us when we, we can't get along with brothers and sisters in Christ. It grieves God when we don't get along. One of the saddest pictures I saw come out of Ukraine this week was a picture of a Ukrainian man with his hand up against the glass on a train that was leaving eastern Ukraine to go west so that his family could go out of the country to safety as refugees. And he's got his hand on the glass and his children have their hands on the other side of the glass. He's on the cell phone with his wife who's inside the train with their children. He's saying goodbye the family's divided because of external factors. I broke my heart to see that. That's happening with all kinds of people. That ought to break our hearts and want us to help as best we can to pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ. But when God looks at his church and brothers and sisters in Christ aren't getting along in churches and small groups and ministries and they're not making every effort, it breaks the heart of God because we're one body, we share the same family. One spirit, we have the same guarantee. We looked at that in chapter one and we saw it again last week at the end of chapter three that we have the spirit in our innermost being. He is the guarantee that we are Christ until we are with Christ. One hope, we expect the same outcome. It's kind of an already not yet hope. The not yet part is yes, one day we will live with Jesus in his eternal kingdom where there be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more war. That is our ultimate hope. It's the not yet, but we have the already. We have Jesus walking with us today so that we can live out that kingdom now and we can have deep satisfaction in the midst of this broken world that we're living out the values of Christ as we live and love like Jesus and his kingdom emanates from us. We expect the same outcome for today and for tomorrow. We have hope in Christ. One Lord. We serve the same Christ, the same Savior. We have one Lord, not many Lords. We have one King, not many Kings. We have one Master, not many Masters. We have one Christ, Jesus. Notice he's mentioned the Spirit. Now he's mentioned Christ, God the Son. And then he's gonna mention the Father. The the focus of this is God himself in Trinity. Three persons in the one Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are mentioned here in these seven. But here, It emphasizes we have one Lord. We serve the same Christ, the same King. Something cool happened this week when Pastor Brian Field, our missions and outreach pastor, was asked by Pastor Dick Thompson, who oversees our seasoned adult ministries, to maybe if he had time, come in Thursday morning to the Righteous Brothers. Now, it's not a band or a group like that. The Righteous Brothers are some, I'll call them elderly men in our church. I think the average age is about 75 or 80 but they've been meeting for years, faithfully gathering together on Thursday mornings for a Bible study. And, and they weren't able to meet, of course, for some time, but they're back on campus and they're meeting. And, and uh, these men would get an update from Brian. So Brian Field went in to give a little update and share what was going on with our connections in Ukraine. And as he was talking about Ruslan, who's still in the country and what he's doing and how sad he's been and how broken he's been, Ruslan FaceTimed Brian. So Brian said, Ruslan, can I put you on for these men in this Bible study, some men from Calvary to hear you? And they all agreed. And so here he was from Ukraine. Ruslan was talking to the men in the Bible study. And he said, I have the joy of the Lord today, brothers. Brian's like, Why the joy of the Lord? Well, some refugees showed up from Kharkiv, some women and their children. We've got a number of people now in our home, and we're able to minister some people, and we're sharing what we have. And now we're trying to get more resources to help him with more and more that are coming his way. But he had the joy of the Lord and he was so excited and it was a blessing to those men. And and, and then Brian Field said, you know, could one of you guys pray for Ruslan while I hold up my phone? And so Ken Moore, and any of you know who Ken Moore, his prayers are quiet and steady, but let me tell you, in the content of what he prays, he rattles heaven. Ken Moore prayed for Ruslan right there over FaceTime. And tears flowed as Ruslan heard that prayer. Here, here we are on opposite sides of the country in opposite settings in what we're going through, but we are one in Christ. It's not just over the boundaries of nations. It's, it's across the aisle. It's, it's with us. We are one in Christ. We have one faith. We rest in the same belief, the core doctrines of the faith, one faith. We rest in one belief, the things that have been given to us from the disciples on. One baptism, we enter the same way. Now, there are two baptisms described in Scripture. The first is the baptism that's referenced here. It's our spiritual baptism. The moment we accept Jesus as our Savior, we are plunged into the family of God, plunged into the Spirit of God. It's a spiritual baptism the moment we receive Jesus. That is our spiritual baptism. Then the water baptism follows that where we're showing on the outside that we know that has happened in our lives. But we all come to Jesus through that one baptism, through the Spirit being baptized, immersed into God's family, through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. You cannot have the hope found in God, you cannot know God, other than through Jesus Christ, who died, was buried, and was raised for you. There's one way. Many of us who are believers came through that one way. And if you're here today and you haven't put your faith in Jesus, there's one way, put your faith in Jesus. If you have questions or today's the day you did that, I'd love to celebrate with you. I'm gonna be out on the patio, share that with me. Our care and prayer team will be down front after service. service, share that with them. If you are joining us online, even if you're in the room, it would be helpful for you. You can just text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen, and we'll help you know what it means to you know you've gone through the one who is the way, the truth, and the life, that you have entered into the family of God through Christ. You've been plunged into that family because of what Jesus did for you. There's one way. We entered the same way, and finally, we have one God. We share the same Father. But you know, you could take any one of these seven and spend weeks and months studying those themes in Scripture, understanding who we are in Christ. These are our common points together, and some of us brush over those things, and and this is what unites us. This is at the core. We are one. We are united by these very things. These are the things of God, the things of Christ. Let me go back to what I said at the beginning. Our unity matters because my capacity to thrive in Christ directly depends on our ability To live in unity. Let's check our attitude before we challenge someone else's. Let's press in when we want to pull back. Make every effort. Memorize verse 3, will you? I can tell you, if if we memorize verse 3 and we live by it as a church, there's no telling what God would do with us in the name of Jesus in this community, in this world. And then focus more on common ground than conflict points. Ultimately, when we do this, it's not about us, it's about Jesus. Don't let God cap your growth or my growth. Let's lean in together. Let's be united. Let's be brothers and sisters. Let's be the family that God has called us to be. Does our unity matter to you? It should. For the sake of others and also for your own sake, it should. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of Scripture. Thank you for the reminder that we are one in Jesus. Father, there are so many ways in which we can find ourselves in deep disagreements and fractures and divisions in our body, and Satan would love that. But you know that the world needs to see us in the most polarized time, perhaps, and one of the most polarized times in our nation's history in our world's history. They need to see the body of Christ here in Westlake Village, in California, in the United States, in the Western Hemisphere, all over the world, loving each other. United together because it's such a radically different thing than what we're seeing on the news nightly. Help us to understand that when we don't plug in, when we don't engage, when we withdraw, or we we just participate as spectators that we miss out and others miss out, and we cap the ability for any one of us to thrive in Jesus. May we go to people we need to go to and have conversations. May we grow in areas maybe that we've allowed ourselves to be stunted. May we make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace, the peace we have with God, and the peace you want to give us with each other. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in that upper room, Jesus had his disciples with him, and they were from different political spectrums. There there was one who would betray him, one who would deny him. There were liars and thieves in that room. They'd followed him for a number of years, and he's about to leave, and he said, fellas, here at this table, in the famous picture of Leonardo da Vin- that Leonardo da Vinci made of this setting, they're together at a table. They spend an evening. It's a table that represents intimacy and togetherness, that they were a family that night, and, and he worries them by saying he's going, and, and then he institutes the Lord's Supper, and he says, this will remind you, this bread will remind you of my body, that I came for you. This cup will remind you of the price I paid to make you one of my own, to make you a part of my family, and whenever you you gather around these elements, you gather at the Lord's table and you are together and all are invited here to come through Christ. And then all who gather celebrate who we are together in Jesus. This represents the foundational unity of who we are as the followers of Christ. I came across a video that Pastor Brian Field shared with me that was connected to one of our partners. It just happened two days ago in a home in Poland where some Polish believers took in some Ukrainian Christian refugees, mostly women and children, and they broke out in a worship time. And I want you just to see a part of these Polish Christians and Ukrainian refugee Christians who fled their home in a Polish house singing praise to the Lord together around a table. Watch this. that impressive to see that spontaneous worship? And it makes me even more want to make sure they have the food they need, the clothing they need, the mattresses they need, the resources they need to show the love of Jesus. Boy, what spontaneous worship among those folks there gathered around a table. You know, if you accepted Jesus as your Savior today, you're welcome at the table. All are welcome at the table. This is what unites us.